0: This is the Thought Leaders Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, today, I had the pleasure of interviewing David Tintner. David was the co-host of the Hacking UI Podcast, which ran from 2015 through 2018. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Thought Leaders uh, on the episode, we really got a into a great conversation about how he started his podcast, how he was able to grab some great guests, get some great interviews, and really the development of his entire content creating career um and Towards the end, which was really, really interesting, we pivoted and we spoke about um all the great things that we as society today get from YouTube and podcasts. And we had some great laughs, some great conversations, and hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey, David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's a real pleasure to have you. How you doing? How you holding up in uh, quarantine over there?
1: Not too shabby, hanging in there. Definitely uh, a crazy time right now, but you uh, know we're getting by. I think we're entering week three of lockdown. I will say
0: you look very sane compared to some of
1: the other people I've been talking to.
0: So this is good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've had some people who are sort of losing it, people who just no shaving, no upkeep. But you look good, and I'm glad. Um, so yeah, I want to dive right in um, and just you know to give the listeners kind of an idea of who you are. Um, and right off the bat, we'll just start. You had an incredible podcast, Hacking UI. Um, and I would love to, for you to
1: walk me through kind of how that was born and uh, let's get this going. Yeah, um, so I founded Hacking UI about five years ago, even more than that actually in like 2013 with uh, business partner, Sajit Schreiber. Uh We worked together at a startup. He was the designer and I was a developer and we wanted to create content to talk about the workflow between designers and developers especially in startups, um, tech startups. And for about a year or so, we um, created a blog and a newsletter and talked mostly about design and front end web development. And then as we started going with it, we realized that we really liked um, talking about entrepreneurship or turning this into a business or marketing, um, sales. So then we started talking about those topics a lot more we expanded to having a podcast which we did three seasons of and we did webinars live webinars and courses um by the end of it yeah we we did that for about five years and by the end of it we were talking about all sorts of topics it expanded way bigger than just kind of design and development
0: okay so it kind of seems like it wasn't just hey let's start a podcast Uh, i know you said you just mentioned um a blog and a newsletter so i would love to kind of understand how that started was it like just a drunken night at a bar hey let's start blogging because it's going to be cool or like it was something that's sat over for a while and how it kind of started from this blog into
1: this really amazing podcast yeah so we actually it started the very first thing was we had a newsletter With a newsletter, we did a roundup of links in, um, about links that were useful, basically resources for designers and developers. It started because actually Sugi was producing a newsletter in Hebrew for just designers. And I saw that when we started working together at this uh, startup, um, and I thought it was a great idea. And I said, you gotta take this to the English speaking market. I mean, we could do, we could do something really cool. We can make a really cool newsletter uh, weekly where we share the best resources and I can add to it. I can you know, help with producing it and I can also add to it the development side. So we started doing just a newsletter together and things really snowballed from there. Once you have a newsletter, you realize that you need to gather gather an audience. Um, so you need to kind of build your home on the internet in order for people to sign up and subscribe to your newsletter. So we built a website. And then once you have a website, you know, you realize that nobody's coming to your website.
0: So you say, okay,
1: so we need to create some content on this website that's going to get people here with the goal of them, once they're here, signing up for our newsletter. And over time, that really just snowballed into a bunch of different ideas. We ended up, uh, we built out some products that we sold, we built courses uh, that we sold, we built things that we gave away for free, we um, built products we gave away for free too. And the podcast was was just kind of one of those ideas that came out of that once we had that core foundation of a website and newsletter that we were producing content on a consistent basis
0: yeah so i mean i think that's really cool first of all to just see how the snowball effect works up you have two creative minds i mean it just seems like you've kind of been in this tech uh design world while which just from knowing my friends and knowing the space there's a lot of just a lot of creativity that's always flowing there which is really cool And I think it's just, again, really interesting to see that snowball effect and how you started doing one thing, and it gets you to a completely separate thing in this podcast, and it's just really incredible. So do you – If I mean, maybe you don't remember, but um, do you mind walking me through that first podcast uh, episode or the recording of
1: the lead-up to it? For me, that's really interesting to hear how that went. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, when we came up with the idea to do a podcast, um, we thought first, we knew we wanted to do an interview show, interview-style podcast, Um, and we thought, okay, let's bring on um, basically design or development thought leaders, people who are, are leading these industries, and basically the people who are creating those resources and those links and those articles that we're sharing every week in our newsletter. Let's go after those people, um, tell them we're doing a podcast, see if we can get them on the show. And we got really lucky because the first person we reached out to um, was the head of design at Envision, which is Envision is like an amazing company for designers, uh, produced some really cool tools and and this this was a long time ago, but they were still um, pretty big company even back then. And the co-founder of the company, uh, Clark, um, the CEO, he always kind of supported hacking UI. He knew Sagi for a long time. He'd been to Israel a bunch. We met him a few times. He even uh, sponsored our blog at some point. Um, So we always kind of had this connection with them and we're doing stuff with Envision. So we were able to get the head of design on the show. That was really cool. Uh, We did not know what we were doing. But at the same time, we both had listened to a ton of podcasts. So we kind of knew things that we liked and things that we didn't like. we prepped a bit beforehand. We had really good knowledge of the space to begin with, um, design and vision as a company, the history, everything. And and then we just went for it.
0: So what year was this again?
1: Well, I want to say 2015, 2016 maybe.
0: Okay, so this is really uh, before the peak of podcasts. And I think this is really interesting that this is kind of the direction you went because you had the newsletter, newsletters <laughs> had been building steam um and blogs for big but like here you're like okay, you know what, Siggy, let's let's start a podcast. Let's shoot an email to the head of this massive company. And he says, "Yes." Like what kind of feeling does that give you of like, "Here I am, David." You know, I'm not saying you were nobody back then, but like, you know, podcast with zero guests and you're sending an email to a big, a big company and you get the head of the, sh- uh, you get the head of, you know, a company on the show. That's a really incredible feeling.
1: Absolutely. So that was one of the coolest things for me. And one of the reasons I love doing the podcast so much um, was that we got to get guests on the show who probably wouldn't have given us the time of day through any other medium people that we were definitely unqualified to interview um, were, were willing to do it. Um, so I think that we went about that for a few, uh, in a few ways. In the beginning, we went after kind of people that we had some sort of relationship with. Um, that was Billy Kiley, our first guest back then. And again, we had the relationship with Envision. Uh, so we were able to do that. We we also had a few other guests that we were kind of, we had some sort of relationship with and that helped us build up a little bit of a foundation. And then uh, we were able to just start emailing more and more guests and we started getting a bit crazier with our outreach and, and reaching further to the point where um, we interviewed Tucker Max on the show, we interviewed uh, Matt Mullenweg, founder of WordPress, uh, and a bunch of other amazing guests that, like I said, we were definitely unqualified for to interview them. The other thing that really helped was that we had a base foundation for our content. Our newsletter had gotten to be pretty popular at this point. I think we had something like almost 30,000 subscribers. And granted that's, you know, 30,000 subscribers, to some people it sounds like a ton, to some people it sounds like nothing. It was in a pretty niche um, space. So in that area, that was a pretty decent amount of, you know, active subscribers reading our stuff every week. and that also helped us to get guests because they understood that we were you know, we were people that were producing content. We were serious about this. I think that a lot of guests were worried that if they're going to go on a show and it's just going to kind of like have only a couple episodes and disappear, nobody's ever going to see it or hear it, then it's kind of like not worth their time. But I think we were able to um, dissuade some of those fears.
0: Yeah, so you guys just... Uh, I was doing some research on you guys. You guys ran... Um, from
1: 2016 to 2018, right? The podcast? Uh, yeah. I want to say yes. So our first episode of the podcast was published on November 25, 2015. I just opened okay, it up. Yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> what I saw. On Spotify, by the way. So yeah, yeah. And, the last and we did, came so out we did, in in did three seasons, right? Okay. Yeah, so we did three seasons. Um, each time we tried to pick a different theme for the seasons, and then tried to get guests that were kind of around that. But well, the truth is, the themes were pretty general. Um, and a lot of the guests that we brought on, we were able to have conversations with them that touched on those themes, regardless of where they came from. So, or what their background was. So we were like m- most people, even if someone was, let's say um, like Billy Kylie was was VP product. So we didn't only ask him about product. We asked him right. you know, about even his career, um, all sorts of things that, weren't just about product, class, the person questions.
0: Okay, so I think that's really cool, the reasons. And uh, how many episodes were per season? Around 10, if I'm not mistaken, or a little more?
1: You're asking some, you know, you're really testing my memory here. No, you know, I'm just, you know, listen, oh, I'm very see. curious <laughs>
0: to see, because I think, I'll tell you what it is. I think that today it's so accessible, right? Podcast, anyone, any crazy person, can set up in their basement and broadcast a podcast that reaches either 10 people or 10 million and you have that option. Um, And you guys, although super niche, did a really, really good job of getting it out there and also getting really incredible guests. And I know this wasn't your only um, job and this was kind of a part-time thing, almost like a hobby. Um, And I think just understanding kind of the inner workings of how it worked is something really, really interesting for people who were fans of the podcast um, or people who are even considering their own podcast or really just want to understand what kind of happens behind the scenes of
1: things. Yeah, so, so going back to that question about the number of episodes, I want to say it was like something like 12, 15, something like that per season. Um, but that wasn't something that we, we had like this master plan beforehand I I wish we could say we kind of we planned out um a decent amount of guests that we liked and then got the interviews that we could uh and started recording and then we got to a point I think that we just we, we wanted to um set like a different tone and change themes and that's when we started season two um I think that you can do a lot of these things as you go and that's kind of like if i can give one tip or or piece of advice to people who are thinking about starting stuff um you you mentioned that it's like super easy to start stuff now but i actually think that even though yeah there's tech and yeah there's um tools to help people the issue isn't that and it never was the issue was always that people don't know how to start they don't know how to take the first step forward and the tools that you have today are, are definitely better than they were a year ago, definitely better than five years ago, definitely better than 50 years ago. But it's still the biggest issue and biggest challenge for the is just to get started, just to actually do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting because again, you guys really did that. You know, you had this blog and then you went straight into the podcast and kind of just seemed like you jumped off a ledge and it worked. Um, but I think I would love to hear kind of about some of the guests because. I know you interviewed the uh, co-founder of Free Code Camp um, and again kind of the guests you mentioned. So did you have like a favorite guest or a horror story of a guest? Did you have people just hang up mid-interview? Like let's get some crazy stuff and I want to hear what happened
1: behind the scenes. Um, I don't know if I could say I had a favorite guest. Uh, There were definitely some really cool episodes. The, the the best thing for me was just getting that time with someone who, I mean, everyone we interviewed were people, were, were people that were admired. Um, some were people that specifically I admired and wanted to get. Some were people that like you wanted to get. A lot of times, both of us. But the cool thing was just getting that time to sit down with them and really kind of pick their brains. So I learned uh, a, a ton of cool stuff. Um, I think that we, one thing I would say in terms of the guest is that sometimes we would bring on a guest who had a big name and like leading up to that, we thought, wow, this is by far the best episode ever because you know, everybody knows this guy and he's famous or she's famous. And, um, it's going to be a crazy episode because of that. And we might be left let down. Um, Mm -hmm. and then other times we, we did um, episodes with people that were absolutely not famous at all. Um, we were running a program called the Side Project Accelerator where we were teaching people how to create content, build a personal brand, start their own side projects. And we did a couple episodes with actually students of that program. And some of those turned out amazing. Um, they were all really talented people who were working in um, in really cool fields. Um, and But they just they weren't famous or something. And those episodes turned out great. So, I think that's kind of the interesting thing for me was that there—I wouldn't say there was a, a direct correlation between the expectation you would have of, of how well an episode would go, based some, on like someone's fame or someone's um, background, and actually what would happen with that episode.
0: Okay, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think that's, I appeal the power of podcast—they touched on that. Um, where some of your best guests were just the regular person off the street. I think uh, 30 years ago, you go try to talk to someone, You know, even if you were working in a project, uh, like you were saying with that uh, accelerator, and say, hey, I'm gonna talk to you and then record you. They're kind of looking at you like, okay, who are you? Please leave me alone, and I'm running away. But now it's like, hey, you wanna be on my podcast? And for your average person, they might not even care what you're interviewing. And it's just a great, I think I look at it a lot of times as like it's the great equalizer. Um, and I think like my, I guess my two, uh, podcast heroes or one uh, would be Joe Rogan or interview heroes to be more uh, accurate, like Joe Rogan and then, uh, hot ones with Sean Evans on, um, on YouTube. And both of them are interview styles and I see them interviewing people. I mean, obviously they're interviewing famous people, but they're interviewing people from all spectrums of, from celebrity to doctor to YouTube star, to uh, conspiracy theorists, and you're just getting to see these people in this access to people uh, that, you know, normal in a normal way, you wouldn't be able to, and I think that's really cool um, to see. But speaking of kind of my favorite podcast, I would love to kind of know your personal journey uh, with listening to podcasts and how you got into life. There are still people who are kind of like, have that podcast phobia. They're like, oh, I don't know where to start. There's too many, like, ah, I don't want to be that guy listening to podcasts all day. So yeah, like, how'd you get, get into that kind of stuff?
1: I started listening to podcasts a really long time ago. Um, and the actually the problem then was not that there was too many. It was always hard to discover podcasts though. Today there's some really good apps for discovery. Um, I used the Overcast app for a long time. Uh, then I switched over to using Breaker app. Um Breaker was a good, got it came out later and it was better for discovery. But Overcast is still a great app. Sometimes I use that because I like the player inside of it a bit more. Um, the first podcast that I think I really really liked, like that I I um, listened you know religiously every episode to was uh, Tim Ferriss show. I read uh, 4-Hour Workweek and was a big fan of Tim Ferriss' stuff and um, was listening to the podcast for a long time. That was also interview style, um, similar to Joe Rogan. uh, So I really liked that show. And actually a lot of the things that we did content-wise with Hacking Why were based off of stuff that we had heard or read from Tim Ferriss. Oh,
0: okay, that's really cool. I mean, I personally don't listen to Tim Ferriss, but again, I've heard some really great things about him. Um, and touching on what you were saying about how um, there's too much choice today, um, I think a lot of people listening—they you know, they might have gotten here through an app or in kind of discovery and are always looking for new things. So, you know, you're—you've you're, started a startup. Um, do you find yourself listening more for personal reasons on podcasts, or you're listening more uh, for business-oriented things, or do you find that nice balance?
1: So that's a tough question to answer because I don't know where you draw the line between personal and business, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, um I I can say like there's a lot of things that I, in my in my listening for personal let's say improvement or self-development, uh a lot of times definitely. Like, when it comes to podcasts, I don't listen to like um that much like like fiction or um or even like um non like a, a serial style podcast. I, I don't really listen to those that much. Um, so most of what I listen to podcasts in podcasts is definitely for self-development. But I don't know how to draw a line between personal and business because um, it's not like I'm, I, I'm I'm doing it to be to become better overall. Um, and And more than that, I think it's less about like actively trying to learn something in every episode more about listening to other people's experiences and hoping from those experiences that um, I can find something to take away back to my own experiences. Hmm. Yeah, that's
0: pretty cool. So speaking of business and personal, we kind of touched on your personal for a little bit. Let's uh, move over, obviously, uh, with your blessings uh, to the business side. So um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Thought Leaders um and that obviously ties in heavily to podcasts so you know if you can give the listeners a little taste of what it is you do um the company that you help start and how it ties into the podcast theme and digital marketing
1: yeah so thought leaders actually spun out of an idea that i had when we were working on hacking ui uh the core issue was that um two things. One was that I didn't care so much if um, if uh, a publication, like a large, if, if the New York Times came out with a new article, they're coming out with you know hundreds of articles a day. That's not like super interesting for me. But what is interesting for me is if Tim Ferriss comes out with uh, something, a, a new piece of content, and that might be on his podcast, or that might be on his blog. Or through his newsletter, or through his YouTube channel. So I cared about Tim, Tim Ferriss as thought leader, and I wanted to catch all the content that he was producing. Um, really, what I cared about was the people that were producing. So that was that was the first thing. And this was really important. We were creating that newsletter for Actively, we wanted to round up links and resources each week, new stuff, and we wanted to get things that were that no one else had, that no one else saw. We didn't want to share the obvious stuff. We wanted to share things that would be really useful and people hadn't already seen. So a great way of doing that was by following these thought leaders that we cared about and seeing whenever they were producing new stuff immediately. So the first version of Thought Leaders, I built um, scraping tons of content from all different sources and kind of aggregating it into a way to show, um, to create an, uh, an entity of a thought leader. Um, and showing everything that was produced, no matter the source, by a specific person. The second thing that kind of led to Thought Leaders as a business was with Hacking UI, we weren't super happy with the monetization options that were out there for publishing content. Uh, and I think that problem was was really, um, really came to life because we were talking about producing um, about creating good user experience. That's what the whole, you know, the subject of, of hacking UI was about. So the monetization options that were available, the easy ones at least, were were mostly around programmatic advertising, banner ads, putting some script on your site, things that were interrupting the user experience and creating a bad user experience. And that felt super hypocritical to, to do that on our own site when our whole points of the whole point of the content we were creating was like was about how to create a good user experience and then in the middle of that article we're telling you how to create a good user experience you know there's an annoying banner ad that takes you away and tries to get you to click out of the website like it doesn't make sense so what we did to start to make uh money was we actually went to brands directly to sell um to and sold sponsorships to them within our content we only worked with um, products and services that we liked ourselves, that made sense for our audience, and when we worked with someone, even though it was a sponsorship, it was definitely paid, obviously disclosed, but we were able to actually endorse that that product or that brand because we actually liked them. Um, we were using them ourselves most of the time, so those two ideas kind of came together, and that's how Thought Leaders was was born. Um, we wanted to capture, to basically support people that were creating good content, thought leaders, and give them a way to monetize that wasn't going to um, ruin their trust with the audience that they worked so hard to build.
0: Hmm. Um, wow, that, you know, first of all, that's very refreshing to hear. I mean, I think we all hate banner ads, but I don't think, at least myself, I know I'm not consciously saying that you know, oh, this is like a burden in my life. But then yeah, it's annoying every time I'm trying to read anything about anything. You know, I spoke about something yesterday with a friend and now it's like inundating uh my screen and I just like XX, you know, for example, like I bought a movement watch um a month ago and am still getting every time I go onto any website, like movement watch everywhere. And I love movement. Um, I'm just saying that, and it's not them. I just think it's the whole banner thing is so crazy. And it's really refreshing to hear that people are trying to do something to, I mean, save us from this terrible problem. Um, it's almost as if, you know, I hope that banner ads kind of go the way of billboards because I was recently driving back, uh, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. And I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, there were just billboards everywhere. And now, I, again, I don't have the stats on this, but I definitely feel like there are less billboards because I think everyone, everything's turned digital. So I can only hope that we're gonna lose the banner ad. So first of all, top my hat to you. Thank you for saving us from that. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because what you're kind of basing that on is you hope that there's this uh, subscriber creator relationship where a subscriber is gonna trust you. Like the listeners of Hacking UI uh, or the newsletter, we're going to trust you guys to make a conscious, well educated purchase.
1: Yeah, Um, it's exactly that. I mean, as a content creator, the audience you've built up is by far the most valuable asset you have. And you can lose that trust in a second. Um, You know, you can spend years building it up and do one you know, misstep and, and it will all come crumbling down. So I think that when people um, take sponsorships within their content, they have to be really conscious of that, both the brands that they're allowing to be um, featured to their audience and also the way that they're doing it. And and that's, I mean, that's basically what, that's exactly what we try to do with Thought Leaders. We built this platform, this engine that um, finds the, thought leaders and the content that are the most similar or most fitting for that brand, um, analyzing all of the content that we're scraping every day, which as you know, is like millions of records and um, pairing those brands with those thought leaders, but not doing it in a programmatic way. We, we actually take the time to, um, to speak to both sides really, really closely set up the exact creative that's going to be there. Um, and I think those are the things that you have to do there. There isn't a way around it because if a thought leader, um, burns, you know, their audience, that's it. They're done. Um, so it's not something to be taken lightly at all.
0: Yeah. Um, I have just like an interesting thought on that though. Um, kind of YouTube and podcasts when they first started, it was, kind of the anti-old school way of uh, consuming content. So it wasn't TV. Uh, YouTube was, you don't have to turn on your TV and sit through commercials. You can pretty much just all in all the time. Um, Newsletter, right? If we look at a newsletter, it's kind of the modern day newspaper. We have everything aggregated. You don't have to flip through a million ads and see this and that. Um, And podcast is modern day radio. Right. where you don't have to choosing when you're listening to what you're listening to it and you don't have um, ads in the middle. But it seems that kind of we are trying or not we, but there's this encroachment into this. What was initially launched as a free ad space, uh, excuse me, an ad free space. And now we're slowly encroaching into it. Do you think there is going to be some backlash from people saying like, hey, I want to listen to a podcast. I don't wanna hear anything, leave me alone, no more ads. Do you see that happening?
1: Well, I don't think that that's, I don't know if I agree exactly with that analysis of it. I mean, YouTube was, you can argue that one of the reasons YouTube grew so quickly and so well was because from very early on, they had the partner program and they paid creators a portion of the revenue that YouTube was earning on their uh, from the ads that they were selling on those videos. So that, and then, I mean, it's still very different than any other major content platform. Facebook is doing that to some degree today, but not anywhere near what YouTube is doing in the way they basically democratize that and, and given that um, revenue potential to so many creators. Um, and I mean, you definitely don't see anything like that on, on Think about other platforms where people are creating constantly like LinkedIn, uh, Quora, um, so I don't think, that, I don't know if I agree with the analysis that YouTube was like this ad free space. And all of a sudden it's taken over by ads. podcast, kind of the same podcasts are more just like the wild west. Right. I mean, um, there wasn't that, that real central authority. I mean, it, it basically would be Apple, but at the same time, even though Apple had the, uh, iTunes and, and, um, was allowing people to access a lot of podcasts. People were hosting their podcast in different places. People, the podcasts were all different styles, all different lengths. There's really no standardization around it. There still is very little standardization around around it, although it's starting to there's starting to be some solutions out there. So I think I don't know if that's really the case. I think that it was um, that there were always kind of ads involved, and and definitely there were ads involved as long as these things were popular um, because you got to understand the, the reason that there's advertising is because the content creators want to make money. And I think there's a direct correlation between giving people um, financial support to produce high quality stuff and the level of quality that you're going to get back. Right. If, if you, if you want to see yeah. people producing amazing podcast episodes, you know, in the highest quality, Um, or traveling all over the world to do interviews or shoot videos. But I mean, these things cost money. The very nature of creating content does cost money, albeit we've lowered the the cost a bit with a lot of with a lot of technology, but it still costs money. It takes time, um, which is opportunity cost. So if you're not paying people or rewarding them for it at all, then you're just not gonna have high quality and then you're not gonna get um a you're not gonna get that to be listened to or, or viewed by the masses.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think I agree and disagree with some of the things you're saying. Um, I think when it comes to like the YouTube, although when it comes to the, I know it wasn't an ad free space, but it was a lot of pre-roll stuff where you can kind of skip, um, you know, almost you can choose when to watch a commercial and not. But I think something that was really interesting, uh, interesting that you touched on is, um, being able to support, content creators that you love. You know, if there was a TV show, let's say um, 20 years ago. You know, I'll give you a personal uh, story. I loved Smallville as a kid. Did you watch Smallville as a kid?
1: Just a little bit, not okay. really.
0: So I love Smallville, right? And then I think they canceled it and I was really upset because I absolutely loved it. There was nothing I that could do. Kidding. Right? There was <laughs> nothing I could do to save <laughs> Clark Kent, okay? It just wasn't going to happen and it sucked um but today if there is a youtuber or a podcaster or a newsletter you know that you really love first of all you can obviously a lot of times you could support them on patreon that you know that's a buck or two but you know i think most people know today that by you know purchasing something that they're promoting, um which we've talked about how they you know we really believe that most of the creators out there are endorsing things they actually use i you're essentially helping your favorite uh, YouTuber or podcaster be able to continue more and more content. And I think that's a super incredible relationship between content creator and audience that's really never happened before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, people like being engaged. Um, the content creator likes seeing that engagement it's cool that we have this almost like instant feedback and back and forth. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, I think just, again, anecdotally a place where we see a lot of backlash from, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, and I know thought leaders doesn't touch on this. Uh, you guys don't work with it, but Instagram, I feel like you're always reading you know, stories about, you know, people are just so sick and tired of these Instagram ads because it's so generic and programmatic and, you have influencers just every second plugging things and, you know, they're not really doing it for, to add a benefit for their audience. They're really doing it for a paycheck in the end of the day. Um, and how across YouTube and podcasts is kind of different. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like why it works on one platform and why there's a lot of public backlash on another.
1: So we don't do any Instagram um, content or sponsorships and, that's because we want to support high quality content. Um, not there. There is a high quality long form content on Instagram, but just it's different than a than a single post, right? There are people doing like really cool stuff on Instagram TV, or I've seen like really really creative usage of stories with like multiple stories and different things like that. And okay, fine. So it is possible. And Instagram has evolved into being a massive platform with tons of capability but it's not like your standard poster or single day story is just not that. It's not this you know, super high quality, long form content that was thought out, that was planned. And I think that also brings us to touch on the difference between influencers versus thought leadership. There's, there's definitely a fine line between them um, and something that I know, you know people ask us all the time, like, are you doing influencer marketing? And I say, look, it's really similar, but, but not really, right? because we don't care so much about celebrity status. And I think that's what you have a lot of on Instagram and kind of what you're touching on there. Um, for example, if um, if Brad Pitt wants to put out uh, a post on Instagram and wear some watch, like a sponsored post, that's not interesting for us as thought leaders. That's not, like Brad Pitt's a celebrity, he puts on a watch, that's just not what we do. Sure, that's influencer marketing, um, but that's not, that's just not what we do. It's not what we want to support. There's no thought out content plan here. Um, people aren't benefiting really from from this content, They're not learning anything. But if Brad Pitt wants to teach a class on acting, then yeah, that's thought leadership, right? I mean, he's one of the best actors in the world. He has um, something that he can really um, that people can really benefit from if if they you know listen to one of the best actors in the world teaching them how to do acting, or if you put down a, a podcast, right, where he sits down with actors and, and we'll interview them about how they made the movies and all of this. Okay, now we're talking about thought leadership. And I think that's kind of, that's that fine line is um, what we want to do at Thought Leaders, stay on the thought leadership side. And that's why we, we don't do Instagram. It's, it's a lot of um, influencer side and less thought leadership.
0: Okay, um, I think that's kind of refreshing also to hear. Um, that take on it where you know you want to stick to genuine content i think a lot of people you know are going after that quick buck and i'm sure there's a lot of money to be made in you know influencer marketing on instagram but it's just not um that high quality content and i would love to hear kind of where just how you personally um have been affected or have used, or have really changed your life, like this whole new long form content. Cause like for me on a personal note, I think that um, because of YouTube, I'm in the best shape of my life, right? I don't think that I could do this 10 years ago, just following a lot of, like a lot of really high quality, long form content guys on YouTube. Um, I think politically I'm more in tune than I've ever been, just cause I could throw on a podcast and really listen, anything I'd love to hear kind of where you fall in that line um, and how it's kind of changing you or what you've learned. Nothing, you know, you don't have to get into specifics, but just kind of along those lines.
1: Um, So I can give you two examples of of things that I get out of YouTube today that are really great and I uh, I didn't have a way of getting them before. First one, I got three examples, actually. <laughs> okay. First one is um, I wanted to learn to play guitar for a long time. I mean, I make, um, every year on my birthday, I kind of make like a, a goals list. And I look at like the goals that I did from the year before. And every year, really, for as long as I can remember, I have like learned to play guitar this year. It's like on this goals list. And it's the goal that I've just, I've never done, never achieved for I don't know, at least 15 years. I think I tried taking guitar lessons for the first time when I was, like, 11 years old, something like that. Yeah, I think, I think a lot um, of people
0: right now are resonating
1: with that. I tried to learn
0: instruments a lot also and failed.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I actually um, said, like, this, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to do it. This is, like, the goal that I just have not ever been able to achieve. I have to do it. So I downloaded the Musician app. And played along there, um, and got a little bit of kind of foundation and then just YouTube like let me run wild um, and found tons of instructional guitar things on, on YouTube, super interesting from all sorts of different uh, personalities, people that were teaching like how to play specific songs, people who were actually guitar teachers, showing technique. Um, the moving screens where the chords and lyrics are going so you can play along with them like everything is there it's crazy and now i can actually sort of play guitar but getting better every day (laughs) there we go no
0: i mean that's that's Um, amazing i think like um yeah i mean that's just create an opportunity for people to do things that they would never be able to do before and it's this incredible tool um that can be used and I think really has been, you know, there's always going to be the negative and naysayers out there, but I think in general, um, these platforms have been used for positive. Uh, But yeah, Yeah. hit me with those other two though.
1: Um, how to fix it things, uh, or how to how to build it. I um, hung the TV on the wall by myself. That was that was a big win for my uh, handyman skills. That was 100% YouTube, 100% (laughs) YouTube. Um, and also we have like couple like weird things around the house needed to fix all youtube um like car stuff like uh there's one time in the car where um i don't know like some weird engine light came on and i couldn't figure out i was like what's going on and then all of a sudden um the um the car was like it was stuck in in like a gear, like third gear or something. But I mean, it's an automatic car. It just we got like stuck there and I and couldn't move it. It was this weird engine light on. Looking around in the manual, can't figure out what's going on. Went on YouTube, typed in like name of car, like stuck in drive in the uh, D3 engine light. Boom, instantly, like in a second, found the video that was like, oh, all you do is there's this weird button that I had never I even know. noticed before. And um, someone showed me exactly where to put it on, exactly my car, boom, done, fixed. And the last thing, um, which is which is different. Those two were kind of like learn to do things, right? Instructional stuff. Uh, this one is. Um, I really love these kind of general knowledge YouTubers. um, mm-hmm. Guest, um Wendover, um, SciShow, PBS Space Time is probably my is my single favorite most like favorite YouTube channel. Um, I think I'm Matt from PBS Spacetime is my hero. Um, <laughs>
0: hey,
1: it's good to know. So there, there are so many um, YouTube channels that are now producing really, really cool educational content on all sorts of different topics. Things that I never really studied in school. Like I got obsessed with watching um, uh, YouTube uh, videos about uh, space. Physics, math, and things like I haven't taken a math class since I think I was like 16. Um, I never took physics, even in high school. I didn't even take physics, and um, never took like an astronomy class or something. Um, But these educational YouTubers are doing a really, really good job of bringing these um, complicated topics and making them, first of all, breaking them down into more simple ideas, and second, to make them. accessible and kind of um, in everyday life, making you understand how they're related to things that are actually happening around you instead of being these just abstract concepts.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Um, it kind of sums up perfectly how I feel uh, about uh, YouTube. It's interesting, I studied history in university and will not lie, history YouTubers got me through my degree uh, I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. A whole course can be taught, on, or maybe it says more about the the tests and the papers I had to write. But it's crazy because I'm thinking that – I was, forgot what I was – I was watching something the other day. Um, oh, okay. I know what I was watching. I was watching uh, F is for Family, uh, the Bill Burr show on Netflix, okay? Okay. Um, really funny show, recommended, a bit dark, but it's uh, it's worth a watch. And uh, his kid on the show is a high school stoner. And the kid has to go find out um, who the shortest serving president was, right? And he has to go to the local library to find out who it was. And for me, I was just sitting there. I mean, I know we have the internet, but you know, I can easily Google who the shorting service president is. But if I really want to know more about that shorting service president, I could literally have probably 20 to 40 hours worth of documentaries on YouTube about him. I could listen to endless hours of podcasts. You know, I feel like there's an older generation, um, to steal a quote from the Simpsons, you know, old man shouts at the clouds. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people rallying against that and saying, oh, YouTube kids are getting like really dumb. And, you know, but I actually think it's the opposite. I think people are educating themselves uh more now than they ever have and i think it's really incredible because i think for a while on youtube um it wasn't that and i think you know not to say anything bad about cereal i love cereal cereal was my first podcast uh that i ever listened to um but i think also you know that maybe podcasts were more geared towards the fiction st- uh, style at the beginning and now you have all this self-help which is great fitness educational history, it's just like, I mean, we're really seeing a revolution in front of our eyes and it's crazy to think about it because you don't really realize it, you know?
1: Yeah, I think level one was kind of, where you talked about like finding out this information was level one for uh, humanity was kind of like the search engine, right? Like, okay, so who is uh, sort of serving president? And then level two is this new layer where yeah it's not just figuring out you know getting a name back it's um it's uh having being able to know every single thing about their life and in an interesting way in a way that's engaging and entertaining
0: yeah, by the way, the answer william henry harrison ah thirty one thirty one days <clears throat> Uh, okay. and he died of pneumonia and paratyphoid um so you know i think what i would love to also kind of if you have some few more minutes with us here so we're all stuck at home right now right uh corona first of all obviously we're because of youtube um and podcasts and things like that we're more tuned in for you know more than ever and i think what i'm seeing is the fact that uh Dr. Anthony Fauci, I believe he's, did I pronounce that correctly? So, you know, he's been doing the tours on, you know, the lead, uh, the lead uh, doctor uh, tackling the U.S. Corona. Uh, He's been on podcasts and YouTube channels and Facebook lives and all these things. I mean, how do you think, and I know this is a kind of a huge question to ask, how do you think um, the industry, um, will i don't want to say benefit but how do you see it changing because of the current situation that we're in
1: uh well i don't know um i think you kind of touched on two different things one is was i think the the question was kind of around like if i understand correctly anthony uh fauci basically being like a, a public figure is important for the current time is going on podcast and and
0: Uh, uh, you froze up for a second. Do you mind uh, starting from the beginning of that answer?
1: Sorry. Yeah. So so I think you touched on two different things there. One is if I understand the question correctly, one is you kind of brought up um, Anthony Fauci who's a public figure who's very important for today um, with the coronavirus situation. And you're saying that he's going on, I guess, more than just the traditional media outlets and press uh, conferences, he's going on podcasts and kind of digital media in order to get message out and spread the word, like an important message, not just an entertaining message, something that's important for all of um, society to hear. And second part of that was kind of like, how it, are these digital media uh, platforms going to change because of today's um, the situation with coronavirus and so I think it's more um, the first, the, I think the first part of that question has more to do with it. I think that they're not changing because of coronavirus as much. There there will be changes, but not as much. It's more that the seeing someone who's a public figure and, and wants to get out a very important message for all of society, something like a, an urgent message, using these platforms, using it because these platforms have already changed the landscape. They've already become the thing, um, that people are listening to in the mornings, um, people are picking up, um, are not picking up the newslet, the newspaper in the morning anymore. And they're looking at newsletters or they're listening to podcasts in the way to work, or they're going home and watching YouTube because they stopped paying for cable five years ago. Right. So I think that these platforms have already changed the media landscape drastically. And when we see someone, a public figure utilizing them, that's just more of like, a, um, a symbol that it's already happened we saw this in 2016 with the election with um, Trump, you know, basically we're taking to Twitter every day. Um, and that was clearly the thing that was mobilizing people and was reaching people way more than, um, you know, going on a morning show or or Letterman or something like that. Um, will this situation change these platforms? I'm sure it will. Um, people smarter than me probably have better ideas about it <laughs> but i think one these things these platforms are changing all the time anyway and they're adapting really quickly i mean um youtube was only invented in 2005 right right so they're so not that old um podcasting i believe started around like um i want to say maybe it was like possible in 2004 but like started picking up some steam in like 2008 right and um, you know, there still isn't even like a real standardized way of doing that. And uh, there's new things being invented all the time. Like, I mean, look at TikTok taking off, right? TikTok wasn't even a thing, um, at least in the US a year ago. I remember when I went to VidCon in LA in July, 2019, um, and saw VidCon was like, everything that was being talked about there. Oh, this is crazy. Like, I don't even know what TikTok is and I'm supposed to be in this industry high <laughs> you know, 2019.
0: Yeah. So these things well, are I,
1: adapting and changing all the time, anyway.
0: I definitely think one platform that's definitely blowing up now is TikTok. I mean, it is the ultimate app when you're stuck at home and bored. Like, what can I do? Uh, are you on maybe, TikTok? I am not on TikTok. I can vouch for the people across the street who I've caught three times making TikTok videos. Um, like I see the camera set up. I mean, that's like the crazy part of this entire situation. If you are, and this is my recommendation out there. Now, again, I'm no expert. If you are trying to go viral now, this is your time to shine uh, with everyone just staying home. And it's it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I personally have been um, try, like deep into a lot of YouTube holes, like since Corona started. Uh, okay. not, uh, not wasting my time. Um, but actually, yeah, I would love to that phenomena. Right. And I would love to one day sit down with a psychologist. I'm sure I'd love to hear if you've ever kind of felt that it's just like that rabbit hole of YouTube where you're just going down and it's like video to video to video to video. And you're like 4am eyes melting out of your screen watching like the craziest things. Has that
1: happened to you before? um so I definitely have, have been on some good binges before uh not gonna lie but I I think that I can binge pretty well with like especially on those general knowledge channels we were talking about um and those go into the most random topics but there is actually a great podcast episode um we can put the I'll, I'll share the, this uh, the link with you afterwards. Actually, uh, Jose, one of the developers at Thought Leaders, sent the link to me, and it's a, I, I want to say it's with the head of uh, the YouTube algorithm. I forget his official title, but that's basically he's the person who is in, in charge with um, with managing the YouTube algorithm uh, for related videos and for finding people new content to watch. And he goes deep into how this works and what's happening with this kind of like this rabbit hole effect, how you watch one thing and then get to the next thing. Um, yeah. But the gist of it is that basically they look at overlapping groups of, of people, it's all based on what people are watching, and find, um, let's say you watch a video that's about cars, for example, and um, they find that there's a group of people that also watch videos about cars, but for some reason, those those people are also watching videos about um, fitness. So what they'll do is they'll essentially show you one video about fitness, and even though you were just watching a video about cars, right? They weren't really they weren't overtly related to each other. And then if you continue with it and show engagement in it, you know, continue watching or like or subscribe to the channel, you know, any of the other like hundred different things you can do: comment on it, share it, um, to show that you actually like enjoyed this recommendation, then they'll take you down that rabbit hole, and then you'll get another fitness video, right? And then from there, it can be, oh, so now you're watching fitness videos. Well, it turns out that there's a group of people that watch fitness videos that actually overlap with, um, they also watch travel videos. So let's show them a travel video. Um, obviously, this is, these are like really broad general examples, but he explains it way better on the podcast than I am, but it's, it's really interesting to hear him speak about that and talk about the design of, of this uh, recommendation engine.
0: That is both scary and reassuring at the same time. You know, it's kind of like I want to be led down a path, but at the same time, I want to make my own decisions. But it's cool, and I think, you know, the way that um, YouTube kind of confused uh, they fuse together tech and personal habits and all this is is super interesting. Just the science behind YouTube is probably just as interesting as most of the content um on the actual platform but uh before i let you go today um i would love and you don't have to but right now just let us know what was the last thing you watched on youtube that you can share with us and the last podcast you listened to just in case there's anyone else out there listening who's a big fan of yours wants some inspiration
1: uh oh well like i said on youtube i've been doing the guitar stuff a lot lately so I was up pretty late last night um, learning to play uh, Wonderwall on the guitar. <laughs> so, Getting so, you know, get, I mean, get ready for the campfires
0: that are gonna happen in four years' <laughs> time.
1: So, so that, that, I can I can share some links to those, but um, I can say that I watched a video pretty recently on uh, YouTube that was by Vox, or one of, one of the Vox YouTube channels. Um, I'm not sure if it was the main one, but it was, um, about why the coronavirus uh, started in China. And it started talking, it talked about the wet markets in China and about um, how viruses travel throughout the world. And obviously like super relevant for the situation, but they, as they always do, did an amazing job explaining it, um, backing it up with facts and sources. And that was a great video. So I can find that and share that. And the podcast, um, I actually listened to this this podcast about um, the YouTube algorithm pretty recently, and I can share the link to that one. Um, I also really like um, This Week in Startups. I've been listening to a lot recently with Jason Calacanis. He's had some great guests on, and those are also interesting for anyone who is a um, business owner, working at a startup, interested in having a startup one day, That's a great podcast because he really gets founders um, and um, executives at startups to open up um, for all sorts of different situations.
0: Awesome. Uh, So again, I just want to thank you for your time today. Uh, This was really great and stay safe, enjoy the rest of quarantine and hopefully we'll have you on again soon.
1: Thanks, you too.
0: Okay, take care. This is the Thought Leaders Podcast. Hey, thank you so much again for listening to this episode of the Thought Leader Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Feel free to ask any questions, leave any comments, and I'll be getting back to all of you. And tune in for our next episode.
1: This is the Thought Leaders Podcast.